Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this please spread the word uh, however you can i am on social media if you would like to follow me i am on instagram at detox pod guy uh, my twitter is on hiatus for a little bit it will come back but it is tis mike joseph feel free to follow me on either of those platforms there is also facebook.com slash detoxicity and if you have a comment you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. I'd say the majority of detox episodes have been recorded with people that I've met recently, uh, people that I know peripherally, or people that I am chatting with specifically for the purpose of doing the podcast. Not the case with this week's guest, Mike Duquette. Uh, he's in the hot seat, and Mike and I have enjoyed a friendship that has lasted more than 10 years, although it's not been without its rub spots, as you'll find out over the course of our conversation. Uh, listen to the episode, you'll get the full tea. Anyway, Mike and I met through the portals of music journalism. Uh, he is the founder of the music reissue website, The Second Disc, at secondisc.com. Uh, over his career, he has written artist bios, he has written social copy, he has been blogging forever, and uh, he has produced and conceptualized releases for major artists. Uh, he is truly a music head, and that's how he and I became friends. But that's not all. Uh, Mike is not only one of the sweetest and purest people that I know, uh, he is as wholesome as they come. Um, he is a son, he is a husband of, of recent times. Uh, he was a uh, pandemic husband, and he is a self-acknowledged work in progress, uh, trying to figure out how to make his way through the world as a better person, an evolving person, a uh, progressive person, and all of the conversations I have in this podcast are great. I think this one is one of the really special ones. I hope you enjoy it. Here is the Mike and Mike show. Hello, my name is Mike Duquette. I'm a writer, editor of the reissue site, The Second Disc, and I've had the privilege of knowing Mike, the host of Detoxicity, for a decade at least? At least. I was trying to figure out when, when it exactly. we met. And... You're about to turn 34. 35. 35. <laughs> I thought it was still 2021. Holy shit. I, I get it. <laughs> so you're about to turn 35. I met you... It had to have been 2010, 2011. I think it was before that. Was it really? I, I was moved, hardly writing then. I moved to Boston in 08. Okay. 
Maybe it was 2010. So 12 years. I feel, yeah, not that long sounds after about the second right. disc. Yeah. Got getting on the Popdos radar. Yeah, that sounds about right. The Gallows humor version I had in my head coming over here was that you have been one of my best friends for 12 years, save for a period of about, I don't know, two or three years where we did not speak at all. Was it that long? Maybe two. I think it was, yeah, maybe like two years. <laughs> we will get into that. There was a pause in, in our relationship. There but was. One thing that has always impressed me about you, con confused me as well, <laughs> is how someone who's relatively young uh, compared to me and compared to people that have the knowledge base that you do mm -hmm. about music, how does someone like you become so interested in music that in a lot of cases came out before you were born? The joke answer I always give is that I was cursed by a wizard to know <laughs> things about the Wham! discography instead of understanding credit, like financial, or talking to girls, although that seems to have righted itself yeah, as you, well. Yeah, you righted that shit, Mike. <laughs> you figured it out. But no, somebody did ask me this recently, and I, I, I thought about, I think what it was, was when you become, the culture you become steeped in. I mean, one of my big origin stories, I guess, is when I was three years old or so, I was at my grandmother's house and I was looking through a box full of tapes and I saw the, the videotape of E.T., which is my favorite movie. And I was really thrown by the design, the moon, the bike, all the, the letters, E.T. And I think what that leads into is, that, especially for music, there's a through line of, like art and artifice, I think especially being an MTV guy, where there there's a change sonically, because people are using electronics and keyboards and sure. drum machines and things like that, but there's still a cutting edge that does still feel fresh. That like I think I was always interested in that, that chasing of that sort of like yin-yang between organic and technologic. Sure. Organic. That's a very, very diplomatic way of, of saying that. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know. It feels like people generally have no sense of history. It's a really bad comparison to make. It would be like me being a Beatles fan, which I am totally a Beatles right. fan. So <laughs> that makes no sense at all. But were you always like this? Because I can't imagine, and I don't say that derisively, I can't imagine that in the early 2000s when you were in junior high school, in high school, that the other 15, 16, 17-year-olds were as nerdy about this stuff as No, you. I remember being on the bus and they were talking about Alien Ed Farm's cover of Smooth Criminal, which was popular, and I was absolutely the kid going, Did you? that was a Michael Jackson song. <laughs> like, Teach the children. <laughs> right, exactly. Educate the children. Because by that point, I was like mainlining VH1 specials and seeing people like Alan Light or Ann Powers or Teray or talking about all these great cultural figures. And there's just something that felt big about it, that especially loving the 80s pop culture as I do. It wasn't that far removed. Like, I was born in 1987. But there was really something really like accessing a locked door. I wasn't here for this. The past is a foreign country. Right, in a totally. Way. And the thing I think that freaks everybody out when I talk about this is that I did not come from a like musical collector family. Which is strange, because, again, I can only relate it to my experience, and my folks were big music people. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot to really root through. I mean, I, I know the ones that caught my eye, because I now own them. 
the 45 of Hughes and News is the Power of Love was a big one for me. My parents did have the Ghostbusters soundtrack, uh, which obviously became a, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, a thing yeah, later in my life. There was a thing for you. Um, somebody in my family got the Jive Bunny cassette, Oof, which like, Jesus. I know, and, and I was really fascinated by that in a way that I still am, and I remember... It makes sense, and right. it was a big-ass fucking rabbit cartoon right rabbit. and also it's a completely different sound so my father was a big wcbs fm 101.1 listener so um, which to give context 50s, was 60s, in, oldies, yeah, oldies right i think now they're like 90s <laughs> <laughs> yes i remember hearing brilliant disguise by bruce Springsteen. one of the last times i was to that station i'm like i was alive for this, this you were wrong but but so i think that context of like oh it's the 50s it's a different thing and this is one of my favorite stories one of the times that my wife nicole has made me laugh the hardest in my whole life was i played her a track from the jai bunny record and it, it was on youtube it ended she looked away from the screen looked at me she goes this is like jock jams for losers and she walked out of the room and I I just it, I couldn't be mad at that your, your, she's your absolutely wife right is, your wife is very quippy <laughs> she is I, I love about her but yeah the other thing I remember I tell people like going to a block party and being like especially because growing up in the 90s especially we're now 25 years removed from the bad boy supremacy You'd go to a block party, a school function, something, and you'd hear these songs and then go on the radio. And it's like, well, this song sounds like Mo Money, Mo Problems. Right. But it's not. Right. What's that about? And I think at the, by that point, it was the very beginning of, like, my father was a computer programmer, so a computer was in our house, I think, from the time I was seven or eight. And I think by the time I was 11 or 12, like, internet was a more regular thing. And so once I realized that you could actually look this stuff up and tr nominally try to figure it out, why does this song sound like you can't touch this, but it's not? Right. When I think about the kind of hip-hop I like the most, especially as a white kid from the suburbs, fully <laughs> copping to that, that's something I, I miss today is when there's a sample, even if it's a very obvious sample, like, I remember when Kendrick Lamar dropped I, right. and it was, like, that lady, and I was like, oh, man. And the excitement of, like, that that maybe there's another Mike Duquette out there who might hear this song at a school function or so, something. I don't know if that was a song that would be played at a school function. It would have to be a very Censored, sanitized yeah. version. But, and then they would hear it, and then they would be like, what's that song? And then eventually they would somehow arrive at that lady and would become an Isley Brothers fan, and I'm an Isley Brothers fan. Right. I, as someone that did not have parents who were super music people, right? where exactly did the music bug come from? Were there other relatives? Were there teachers? Were there... Uh, there, yeah. At first it was film. Okay. I really, as a kid, again, E.T. giving way to Jurassic Park or Jaws, I'm realizing that the same people that did a lot of the movies I liked, for Spielberg, not even stuff that he directed, but also as a producer, like Back to the Future and... The Goonies and Gremlins, all these 80s chestnuts. And so for a while, I really wanted to be the next Spielberg. And then at 15 or 16, I realized, like, I don't, like, I had a camera. I remember very vividly a couple times my parents would let me film trips to Hershey or whatever. I don't know that I was any good. I mean, I don't have, like, best vision in the world. I don't know that I had any sort of sense of visual storytelling. Sure. But it was verbal storytelling, and eventually I realized, okay, well, I, I really want to write. 
And I was like, well, what do I want to write about? What are the things that interest me? I'm like, well, you know, music, I guess, is a, re- a real idea. And the person I think I, I give the most credit to really opening my mind up musically was my high school choir teacher, Tracy Murray, who was, again, in South Plainfield, New Jersey, a very upper middle class town. There was working class people. And here he was. He would commute in from Newark, a uh, man of color, very imposing figure. People would compare him to Al Roker. I didn't love that. Yeah, that's 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 not great. <laughs> um, but he liked all the things that I liked. Okay. He liked the music of John Williams. He liked uh, or Disney music. He also liked opera. Every choir concerts we would do selections from Handel's Messiah or La Traviata or things by Verdi. He had a, a real affection for this kind of music and I think uh, especially when you're a teenager and as I was very much of, of the the idea that no one is going to find any of this stuff that I like interesting, interesting. <clears throat> so for him to be like no it is very cool that you li- like this and I didn't have a credit card so I wasn't really going to record stores yet so he sure. would burn copies of things and he was just so kind and it was one of those relationships where I would like maybe not go to the lunchroom and I'll just have lunch with him. Um, he's still a very a, you know, very good friend of mine. He's going to be at my wedding when we're doing a wedding party. Your wedding, that's two years after the actual wedding. Two years wedding. after the actual one. Thank you, COVID. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but yeah, I'm really excited and I've been really privileged to try to, in ways I can give back because uh, a couple years ago he had a stroke and he was a brilliant piano player. One of his arms is in a sling and I know he misses it because he's only, my gosh, he's like, I think 60 now. So pretty young guy. 61. Still. He kind of had to retire a little early. And I remember a, a band he got me into was Ben Folds 5. He loved Ben Folds 5. I think it was because it was a piano rock band. And I remember getting into them and, and of course later working for Sony Music and getting to go see Ben in concert. And I, one year I took Tracy to see him and we got to meet Ben afterward. Wow. I was with us. A&R director of Sony was a big Ben fan, put together the retrospective that Legacy Recordings did a couple years uh, ago. And I know that Ben is a passionate music education uplifter. And the fact that Ben was so kind to Tracy, so he was so wanted to talk to him. And I remember there would be times I'd visit Tracy and he's like, I really haven't done much. I'm like, are you kidding? And it's not just me. There's kids who went to Juilliard. I don't want to Mr. Holland's opus it, <laughs> but it really is. And even though I'm not a musician, per se. You still work within music. Right. And I owe a huge debt of gratitude to him. And I hope he listens to this. I'm sure he will. Because I'm, I'm saying what a huge difference he made in my life. There's a video, and I'm really going in deep, but you can find it on the internet. The last concert I did in, in high school, Tracy's dream was to do a full recreation live action of the Looney Tunes cartoon What's Opera Doc Wow! with all the Wagner themes and we ended up doing it my senior year I played Bugs so I was Bugs (laughs) and I was also Brunhilde Bugs and Drag I had the balloons and the Madonna cones and the braids and everything and I very rarely admit this but you can find this on YouTube it has like 50,000 something views you've never told me about this (laughs) Well, yeah, because I think people are just so dazzled by the idea of a course teacher being like, what if we just did What's Opera Doc? That is crazy. For 10 minutes. 
and he like pulled off the DVD. I don't know if it was Carl Stalling or whoever did the the arrangements. So it was all the instrumentation, and we we sang it live. It's a track. That's amazing. It was. I was like weeks from graduating. Uh, I was coming on the upswing of a case of mono, because I was up way too late studying for all my finals and stuff. I have a very vivid memory of on the stage at my high school between rehearsals and I'm just looking up at the ceiling being like what am I doing <laughs> at 17 years old what am I doing <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> was there ever a sense when you were growing up that the things that you liked and the stuff that you were into was maybe a little different oh totally I don't know if this is a metaphor for privilege or not but it hits you like a ton of bricks because when you sit in a in a room and read it like the, the movie that happens to be your favorite movie, E.T., is at the time the highest grossing movie of all time. To the point where you're like, well, for a school assembly, oh, we should watch E.T. And I just, it wasn't a way that a child might want to impose their will. I just thought it was like, well, well this movie is beloved by everybody. This is absolutely what people want to watch right now. Time, everyone has it and everyone right. wants to see it. And as you get older and that gets a little acerbic, I mean, especially in the 90s, people would throw around... Uh, words as pejoratives that I hope that kids are not doing now. Like gay? Yes. Um, (laughs) I'll say it. Well, yes. Yes. And that would just wound me because it's like, and this is so corny, but because the character of E.T. is sort of synonymous with love and universal understanding and it's like, how can people just dismiss him? Because 13-year-olds don't care about that shit. Totally. Totally. And I understand that now. (laughs) I I hate to be Oprah here. How how did that make you feel, Mike? I would cry sometimes. And I think of a lot of ways it manifested itself. Like, I've been in two long-term relationships. You've met both partners. I I feel privileged. You're one of a very few handful of people who has, I guess. But, I mean, the first relationship was high school, college, after college. was seven years altogether. And I was a young man not fully understanding a lot of things about life and relationship stuff and how that stuff's supposed to go and i remember when it ended i remember thinking especially because by this point i knew you i knew a lot of our mutual yeah. friends who are music writers and thinking how cool would it be to meet someone like some of these music writers because like i knew our good friend matt wardlaw right um who was dating now married to our good friend annie zaleski and i remember thinking that's it that's what i want i gotta date a music person and i remember when i met my now wife, Nicole, and realizing not how foolish that was, because Nicole is an, is an actress, and so she's understands artistic expression and entertainment, right. but she is not doing the same exact thing that I'm doing, and it rules because it, it, it enables us to be very supportive of each other without there being any sort of competition, and there's just enough understanding at what, like, the basic tenets of what we're doing so there's never a like, oh, well, what if you tried this? Right. You know? There's an overlap. It's not identical. Right. I, I've thought the same fairly, I mean, I guess for the last few years uh, that I need, that my relationships need to be with people that are creative in some oh, way, shape, or question. form. Because I'm not sure that someone who is, and not to disrespect people who are accountants or whatever, but I, there's a, a lack of relatability, I think. Well, if you have enough of it in you, even if you're not a practitioner, per se... Right. I guess I worded that incorrectly. No, no, no. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are doctors, perhaps, but they also have a great love for... Theater yeah, exactly. or movies or right. whatever it is. I recently spoke to someone who I haven't spoken to in a while, who I knew as a, as a child, and just randomly... It was a random Facebook message. It was a really nice, a really pleasant conversation. And we just sort of catching up. What are you up to? And I work 
in entertainment, and uh, she works in in the medical adjacent field. And I think sometimes I think there's a defense, and I, I I hate that this exists, where sometimes people are like, well, it's not as exciting as entertainment. It's like, but okay. I wouldn't want to look does at it, it that does way. Does it pay you? Is it something right, that you enjoy certainly. doing? Right. Yeah. Look, we both work in entertainment, and I think there's a, a nominal sense that by working in entertainment and and upholding the yeah, and maybe not upholding the structures. That might be a bad way of putting it. But, <laughs> but as someone who's participating in that space and hopefully making it easier for people to express themselves and for creativity to flourish in various ways, that we are helping people. Yeah. Because not only are we helping people that are making the art, we're also helping people who are consuming the art. Yeah, absolutely. And that is obviously crucial. But I would not evaluate that as more or less than people who are helping doctors uh, do medical coding or whatever why would i job you know? is a job right. and a passion is a passion and it's great to have your passion and your work overlap right it's not necessary and i think there's also a sense that, and I, i'm very kind of stickler about this with especially people my own age who are aspiring creatives perhaps is, is one way of defining it i i take the aspiring out immediately I'm privileged to know a couple good friends who have been in, in bands for a while, and I think about th- that when I met them, they were working various jobs that maybe they weren't full-time musicians, but you're just an artist. Yeah. The whole capitalistic portion of it <laughs> is not without its challenges, but but yeah, I think it's it's a one of the most basic and one of the most sadly misunderstood tenets of, of life on this planet is when someone presents a certain way to you that's it you don't i wouldn't question it and that obviously you can extend that metaphor to a lot, a lot of different of ways if somebody tells me that this is their name that's their name right i don't really give a shit if a birth certificate says otherwise right i mean how many people are? this is like frivolous but we have been calling him sting for 45 years <laughs> and nobody's but well he's really, really gordon, gordon sumner, sumner. <laughs> we just take that at face value so if somebody is like well i'm actually not bill i'm Jane or whatever. Then you're fucking Jane. You're Jane. It's yeah. very simple. Yeah. Even if you've known, and I, actually, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, or we probably have, was that my former partner, over the course of a relationship, their, one of their parents came out as transgender. Right. And, I mean, it was big, because, again, in suburban New Jersey, you didn't know anybody, and that's probably not true. Maybe it's just because it's not as visible doesn't mean it's not happening. I mean... You were right about that, but also I can say, even as someone who was living well, right. in a city at the time, I didn't know many if any people who were in the process of transitioning or who had yeah. successfully transitioned and i remember the first time i i i, I met her i was like how am i going to feel about this and of course that's okay that's a huge thing as you get older it's not so much how you're going to feel right it's not it's... about how you feel about it it's <laughs> about the other person what they're dealing with and you're going to either have to adjust or get the fuck out the picture right and without patting myself on the back too much about it i'm glad that that happened when it happened because it was a crucial step, especially once moving into a major metropolitan area such sure. as this. I've known a lot of people who their pronouns have changed, names, identities have changed, and rather than slipping on a banana peel about it, it's just like, all right, great. And then if you mess up, you... You apologize right. and you get it better the next time. Absolutely. That's the way it should be. Would you say that you were sheltered? Is that, is that a leading question, Mike? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I f- increasingly feel the breaking out of the chains you didn't realize were on you, if that makes sense. 
I get it. I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think how diplomatic I want to be about this. Well, maybe when well-meaning family members make assumptions, and I, th- I think you and I obviously have had a, a real experience about this in the time we've known each other, of evolving from a sense of, well, that's a fucked up thing to say, but I'm not, oh, ugh, I might be uncomfortable to say something about that. And then turning it into a, like, hey, you can't say that. Right. There was a member of my family who, they're actually probably not going to hear this, so I'm going to tell the story. After we were talking about hearing about somebody who passed away from COVID-19. Ooh. And their first reaction was something along the lines of, well, they were kind of heavy set. As if, and now my my wife, she uses fat. That's the word she uses. And we could talk a lot about that too, of, of breaking a lot of stupid internalized stuff when dating somebody. But I remember saying, that's really uncomfortable thing to say. And do you think of my, my wife like that? I don't like that. And again, it's this is someone who is much older. Right. So obviously did not have to do the work of unlearning or breaking those stereotypes and, right. it's, and that can be very challenging and it, i'm not getting any points for copying to this but like growing up the town my grandfather lived in over time and i think now it's probably close to 100 percent. but the town became increasingly people from india or pakistan or the middle east and you'd see the businesses change and again it was a town where both my parents lived for many years and so you get a lot of weird comments about how the places have changed. Mm-hmm. And that, like... What, was it coded or was it blatant? It, um, well, unfortunately, there were no slurs, okay. thankfully. But there was just a lot of, like, weird false beliefs that... Obviously, like, in certain countries, the existence of a caste system had been in place at some point. Mm-hmm. But I think extrapolating the idea that these folks are coming to America with that system still ingrained i can't say whether that is the case or not but certainly in retrospect would be wrong to think that anybody thought they were better than us sure i mean look racism exists within a lot of communities i mean not i don't know if racism is the right word prejudice Prejudice, thank you but but certainly for me the idea of people who look different and spoke different there was kind of an inherent funniness in it that like i look back and go Ooh, boy. But I think it's important, rather than be like, no, I was perfect. Which is silly, and no one was perfect. I think there's power in being able to say, hey, I did this fucked up thing, or I said this fucked up shit, but I learned from it, and that's how you become a better person. You don't fly out of the womb woke. Well, right, and and I think also the the way you say it, like, like, I don't think it feels like an after-school special. Right. I'm not waiting to put my chin in my hand as you say the lesson to our audience right i mean like you're right thanks for like thanks for letting me know right just saying like it happened i don't know a ton about your upbringing mm. um i've only met which is weird because i've known you for so long and i'm we're pretty close and i've you only met, met your parents once only i guess it was only once yeah. right I've only met your parents once wow. and also look <laughs> i don't have the experience of having grown up in new jersey well sure so i i don't know how sheltered it really was but knowing you and knowing your parents and knowing your friends that you grew up with. Oh, uh, yeah. And also looking at the tra- trajectory from when I met you to now, you are a much... I mean, the fundamental well, life is still there, but right. you are a much different person. I'd like to think so. Yeah. It's funny because, like, 
I think a lot about we've we've been on a lot of vacations, my family and I. Mm-hmm. I mean, my my parents. Yeah, y'all my, have a we, yearly vacation it, it, thing. Kind of, yeah, and and especially I think I think COVID, certainly now, where we weren't traveling for a good year, year and a half. Right, and it's funny. Like the first thing Nicole and I did, not funny, but her grandmother passed away not long after we got married, and we went to a service in Florida I think we were just so cooped in and kind of blown away by everything that had happened that year obviously I got COVID she did not just job stuff getting married very quickly related to some of that job stuff that I think it was her that said what if we just took a couple days and went to Disney World and I'm paying my own bill with the exception of being on a family plan for my phone I pay for stuff and once you realize how much it costs to do stuff I often find myself as hedging and it was a sign of what a wacky year that I didn't even think. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll put my credit card down right now. We're going to go to Disney for three days. Because sometimes <laughs> the brain needs to say, fuck money. Yeah. I, I need to enjoy myself, particularly after the time that we've all had. Yeah. In in twenty in the first part of 2021. I don't blame you. Well, but we've been on a lot of vacations. And once you realize that that's not normal. It's funny because like, my mom, her parents, her mom didn't work. Okay. Uh, which I, right, is normal fairly typical. Her father was in the Merchant Marines and was a truck driver. And she was the youngest of four kids. And it was a significant age difference. Her youngest brother was 10 years older than her. Oh, wow. But there was always a sense of like, we're going to, we're going to pack up this station wagon or whatever and we're going to go places. My grandfather made sure of that. And I think that was something that got passed on to my parents right and because again like once the car is broken that's when we get a new car we don't get a new car because it just for nice the sake of getting right. a new car right? like my favorite story is we had a television it was a big clunky it was a wood paneled and a panasonic and we had that for uh years and then i remember my grandfather had a similar one when he died it just ended up in the garage the TV we had died and we replaced it with that and I think we probably knew each other at this point because I remember I was playing rock band with Tristan and Jeff my two best friends and of course by this point flat screen TVs are a thing right. but we're playing and we're like hunched over these plastic instruments looking at this I don't know 15 inch screen or whatever and I'll never forget this Jeff was like how old do you think that TV is I'm like I don't know and truly within a week it died <laughs> And this was, this was like, I don't know, 2008, 2009. The TV was like, I'm listening to this conversation. It might be my time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think it was like 1985, maybe. Wow. So 20, uh, close to 25 years. That's a TV. long time for a TV. Yeah. I, I, I relate to that sentiment a little. That's certainly the way that I grew up. You don't just replace things for vanity purposes. Right. You replace the vacuum cleaner because it's broken. Right. I am probably a little bit more fr- frivolous. But I mean, look, you're sitting on a busted ass couch right, right. now. Right. Like, <laughs> Clothes is a big one for me. Usually for Christmas, I'm gifted stuff, and I'm just like, don't go nuts. I've got, like, the same, I don't know, six or seven sweaters I've been wearing since 2011. Right. Like, unless I somehow grow out of them, or they fall off my body in some way, I'm going to keep wearing them. Which I hear that clothes, if you wear them often enough, will disintegrate. It's funny. I recently, um, embarrassing, I got off the couch and a pair of pants. Ripped? Yeah. 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 Not my proudest moment. I, was, I really like those pants. <laughs> I mean, you can like, get them re, re whatever. I ultimately did throw them out. I was, uh, I was like, I don't know if we can if we can exactly fix these. Uh, so, 
So I'm literally, as we're talking, thinking back to when you and I initially became friends. Yeah. And I regard you as a peer. Well, that's very sweet of you to say. I didn't always regard you as a peer. No, I mean, totally. <laughs> I remember, like, going out with you, and, and you're like, you should have a drink. And I'm like, oh, like, I did not drink underage. But uh, you weren't underage at the time. Well, yeah, but that's the thing. I never got the hang of it. To step back a little bit, in high school or in college, you didn't have, like, a sowing your wild oats period? Never. Never. The closest I feel like I came was in the last couple of years, and it was just more of a mental thing, and I look back on it, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Not even that I can picture you have, having wild oats to sow. Like, I can't no, picture you no. smoking a cigarette or anything like that. No, and a friend of mine recently asked me if I was sober, like, purposefully. Okay. And the answer is no. And it's funny, because, like, Nicole, like, she likes to drink, nothing wrong with that. She used to be a, a pretty heavy... Uh, weed person before we met and I always was worried that I somehow knocked it out of her by being lame <laughs> to the point where we <laughs> we this was I guess this was about a year ago because uh, again the occasional times I will drink a little bit more I'm usually not with her and she thinks I'm keeping it but she's like I want to do this with you I want to get drunk with you I sure. get yeah, high yeah, with you yeah, yeah, yeah. and so we smoked some weed and this was at the time that the Marvel show WandaVision was happening. Sure. Which, she's a big classic TV fan, and I think, like, all the send-ups of old sitcoms. She saw me watching it, and she's like, what is the show about? And I was like, how much of this do I explain to her? Of the 12 <laughs> fucking years of Marvel s cinematic properties? There's a large backstory happening. Right, and I remember it was the 70s episode, and the 70s episode begins with a very kaleidoscopic color like partridge family sort of intro yeah, yeah. and i already watched the episode and we were gonna rewatch the episode and we smoked and we put it on and as soon as that intro hit i was like i've oh, done too much no, yeah. and like we shut it off and i remember i was like i have to go to sleep now she's like no dude you cannot leave me and we like just took a nap in the bed and i, I like was out for anywhere from four to 11 hours while she's awake fully like what is he doing? <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. It's the most rookie. You're the so most rookie. I know. Truly. I'm like fucking leave it to be. But, but that's, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I find that interesting. Yeah. Uh, obviously, well, sure. I, I know you, so I, I didn't think that you really had sown any wild oats, but just a kid growing up in the early 2000s, who never felt moved to experiment or, or do anything like that. Well, I, I remember, I'm going to talk vaguely about this, because you know, parts of it are not full, you know fully my thing to say, I guess. But So for, I think, first of all, getting a full-time white-collar job, moving into the city, and being like, I'm going to date. I'm going to finally get that part of me out. I was in therapy. So I was in therapy at the time to talk about my uncertainty about dating because it had been three years right and i set everything up i set up okay cupid and all that stuff and the second date i went on was with nicole <laughs> so that was a very quick okay cupid experience it what well there were still months of of i mean first date was november and i think we were like boyfriend girlfriend by february okay and to me it was a, a real push pull of like 
be cool. Don't ask her to be your girlfriend. But of course, I asked her first. Are you surprised? You can't not be who you are. No. It was funny. There was an Instagram story prompt the other day of like, like what were your screen names on AOL? Yes, I and, saw that. And one of my screen names was Blue Turtles 1705, which was a reference to the first Sting record, mm-hmm. The Dream of the Blue Turtles, and also the anniversary with my first girlfriend. And of everything we talk about, if that doesn't tell you the story of who <laughs> I am, if that, if, dis- that's going to be your social yeah. cutout of this uh, podcast <laughs> when, when it's on socials. But one of Nicole's very best friends said, I was a wife guy in search of a wife. Which is adorable. <laughs> I mean, I truly right. am. But also, I, I think in the, I don't know, two parallel tracks in the last seven years of living here, of trying to better understand the casual inequality and misogyny that happens in romantic situations Mm -hmm. or dating situations. Mm -hmm. There have been people who have been in my life and have been out of my life because of how they treated other partners, other relationships. And it was, again, as somebody who did not have any, as a man, as a suburban man, didn't have any capacity for what that truly meant. I remember very viscerally early on living here, I remember seeing someone getting catcalled on the subway, and I'd never seen it before. And the, like, adrenaline of, like, oh my god, this happens? What? And, and obviously, and how many awful, violent things have happened in the news because of that. Absolutely misunderstanding yeah. and that inequality and I've often joked there's an over-indexing of my friend group but non-monogamy open relationships which again suburban white kid you're a New Yorker what the fuck do I know right. about that of course now yeah of course it's yeah, you're a New Yorker you're a millennial it's become it's like last night I, I heard a stat that said 20% of school age children identify as somewhere on the queer spectrum which it's probably still low, but... But I wonder what that was from 2005, say. Right, you know? or in 1993, when I went to a high school in New York City right. with 1,200 other kids, and none of them identified, or very few of them identified as, as queer. To the best of your knowledge, is that still the case? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, I there are definitely friends that I had in school that have since come out. And obviously we can't keep tabs on everybody. Well, but certainly. It's probably at this point close to at least 20%. Okay. I mean, my high school girlfriend is now in a relationship with another woman. So, there you have it. Like, there you go. I think, and again, I want to speak in, in vague terms here because obviously it's not my life solely, but trying to have a better understanding of is that for you? And after a lot of thinking about it, I think the answer is no. That's and for some reason, I was always worried that that was going to be... And I guess it's going back to the... You think E.T.'s gay? Oh, God. I think... I mean, I don't know. Embarrassingly or not, I think everything is... There's a, a cyclical nature about it. And I think the more you realize that, hey, this is kind of the same thing that you're worried about. Like, how you're perceived. Are you doing the right thing? I'm very much a person where... I'm worried uh, that I'm not doing enough, and so I try to put a focus on others that sometimes feel like it's at the expense of myself. Mm-hmm. And then the more advanced version of that now as an adult is realizing that and wanting to, to pull the scales back in the other direction, but am I? But somehow thinking that I'm going to have the strength 
of pulling the skills from altruistic to narcissistic. And with you, one of my dearest friends here, I think I can say, that's probably not going to happen. I think, but I think about it all the time. What is the point when you go from, hey, I'm somebody that wants to help others to... I got one. Look at me. Well, also, then it becomes, look at me. I'm the person who helps others and I'm doing it for validation as opposed to actually doing it out of wanting to be of assistance or knowing that my experiences can be of assistance to other people. Right. I mean, I'm sure I've done it unconsciously. Most of it happens, you know, unconsciously. This is sort of a good segue. So you are really like the second person that I've had on this podcast. The first was Jason Hare, who you also know. Yeah. That there has been a gap in in our relationship. Yeah. And, um... It's funny because I don't remember exactly how the gap developed. I I don't either. And the thing I can think of, and this is like so embarrassing. I've done versions of this before where you're worried about how you're perceived socially. I've got two best friends. We had a great Zoom, I don't know, a week and a half ago. And it was like one of the nicest conversations I've had in a while with anybody. And... It was, it's one of those friendships where you can go months without speaking. Right. And then a rhythm... It just picks right does, back up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they've been for 20, 20 plus years, Jeff and Tristan have been my best friend. And sometimes, and I'm not proud of this, there's a sense that when you meet new people, especially when you're going into a new situation as I'm moving into New York, having a job, being a music person, mm-hmm. and thinking, I don't know if that... Not thinking too good, but thinking that these people now understand you in a way that the people who have been with you for a while don't. Yeah. And it's like, why? It's a rhetorical why, but why does that happen? And I guess it was like, group of friends, way too much time online at the time. Maybe still now, who's to say? Not my judgment, but for me especially, I was very much being a performative human being. Not in any direction, just being a heightened version of me Mm -hmm. via the magic and mysticism of social media (laughs) and and somehow it was a feeling that other people were like a chain weighing and that's a horrible thing to say but like it's real well and i think it was probably some some misunderstanding that you and i had i'm sure it was and somehow i extrapolated that into well this is a guy who doesn't understand me even though you understand me way better than most people i know that's nice of you to say. And I, it's, I, well, it's true. Well, and I feel like I've been able to understand the world because of your example and how to try to live as a better person. And not only through you, but through people I've met through you. And I don't know if you remember this. There was a point, I think, because I'm one of those idiots that has multiple email addresses. I actually <laughs> recognized this fairly recently. I was like, which email which address do I actually email yeah. Mike at? And I think there was a point where you had reached out to me before we had come back together. yeah. And I didn't see it until way later, and it, it was before we'd reconnected, and I felt really bad. I'm like, I don't know if this is the right time. I think about that moment a lot, but I remember the moment that we did reconnect, mm-hmm. and it, thank God, and I think we both should take credit for this, that there was immediately two little light bulbs over our heads <laughs> that were like, why would we... Which is what led me to approach you in the first place. For my my recollection of things... Yeah, please. Again, now, in 2022, I view you as a peer. Right. When you and I first met, 
there felt like there was kind of a hierarchy. Yeah, a big little brother, bit. little brother. Yeah, it was a big brother, little brother yeah. situation. And there were times when you were kind of the over-eager little brother. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, I, it felt kind of like high school in a way, yeah. where there's like the freshman barges into the juniors or the seniors yeah. who are too cool for school. So there was always kind of that tension. And I'm laughing because I can think of relationships I have now with people where it feels like that. That? Okay. And so I'm really glad that you're saying that because like, yep, that's exactly what it is because I now see it 10 years hence. (laughs) I feel like there were two, like, two peaks. One was, I remember being at Matt and Annie's wedding in Cleveland and being so annoyed. (laughs) I literally told Jeff, I want to kill him. (laughs) Good God. And as you moved to New York and jumped to the corporate world. Mm-hmm. As you said, there was a sense of... I mean, I'm pretty much going to parrot what Please. you literally yeah. just said. There was maybe the sense that you were being an exaggerated version of yourself. Yeah. And like, and, and I've arrived. Right. There was an ego. Yeah. And I was like, this... This right. isn't and, right. And for fucking box sets? Right. right. <laughs> like, I can say that now, but... Right. I mean, on, on my end also, I mean, I had growing to do and I still have growing to do myself and I think maybe there was even a little jealousy on my part for you doing something that I would have loved to have been doing but at a certain point and the funny thing is that your best friend Tristan who I obviously met through you (laughs) he and I had been communicating pretty regularly throughout your and my estrangement yeah and at a certain point I was like what I'm moving back to New York we work together in a sort of vague sense I was like this is fucking stupid I'm not gonna make this an awkward situation unless he wants to make it awkward no and obviously there's nothing but ground so so glad right yes and and that's the thing nicole has had these conversations with me many times where it's like you meet these new people and you feel but then all of a sudden it's like through no fault of their own you're not getting what you thought you were going to get all the time out of it right and then i don't want to fucking sound like survivor the search is over but like <laughs> but like when there are people who've been doing that like truly oh god you know? I literally the, see the light bulb went off right well look again Nicole and I we're doing a wedding party we don't have a traditional bridal groom party but I'm doing a little thing right. with people right and I was thinking well who are the people I want to put and of course immediately the same way that Jeff and Tristan immediately happened or my brother happened you happened because like why would I not right it's foolish to divide it from well these are my New York friends these are my music friends these are my writer friends but it's just like no you and I have had there's a lot of history we have there. a lot of history and, you know and one thing in particular and I would certainly not rank it on a level of awkwardness that our estrangement was but I think back to the summer of 2020, a, a challenging period for a for lot of, everybody, yeah. for a lot of people, but especially for a lot of white guys trying to more accurately understand their place in a world that is in need of change and in need of evolution and, and how to, to do that without becoming, it's like, I'm doing the work, check me <laughs> out. And there were certainly th- things that you and I have talked about personally and semi-publicly where there were some feelings of like, well, from your end, maybe you could have handled this better. And... I talked to other, you know, people, other friends, other friends of color, other. I'm like, I think this is someone who means so much to me. We started having a really great relationship that, like, really credit with helping me post college and adulthood. And then at a really crucial juncture, that friendship was gone, and then it came back. And and that's the thing. It's like you feel more. I don't want to say more, but you feel so fully. I'm a sensitive person. Right, and I am also And a you are person. also, yes. And, Which and I there's think... a kindred 
and that's the thing. I think there is a kindred spirit thing because both of us, I think, feel very deeply. But that also can lead to misunderstandings that get well, blown yes. out of proportion. Yes, <laughs> but I, well, I would say we've gotten better at Oh, we've that, gotten much better. Without question. Yes. And I think also just helping my other friends understand, who maybe don't know you as well, that it's not so much that, that you're a sensitive person that, it, that, it, I'm, that one must walk on eggshells around, but that you're just someone I care about so fucking much that, like, it is like Nicole, in a way. Obviously, I would never want to lose... Nicole. Am I black Nicole? Maybe. You might Mike. be black Nicole because your relationship I never, ever, 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 ever want to lose. That is one of the nicest things someone has ever said and to me. And it's true. <laughs> it's 100% true without, like, tokenizing it. You've had a very significant role in me trying to understand the world better. Especially, and this is, you know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately. I think because I'm obviously not going to blow up my therapist, but I'm a therapist who is also a person of color. Okay. And when I get the inarticulate rage about things, like the way things are going, mm-hmm. in a way that I have a privilege I can get away with that, where it doesn't look scary or sometimes... Where I will totally think things of like the lawmakers who are making LGBT youth in this country feel scared for their lives... I'll go to the point of like, well, they're the ones that should feel scared for their lives because I'm just so mad. Right. But is that is that really right? Is that really the... I still question well, that. Well, of course. Every day, man. But I think when you talk to somebody who experiences it as you experience it right. and not parrot the ideas, but be like, well, you get this way more than I do just by nature of who you are. So maybe I should hang back a little bit. It's mm-hmm. empathy. And I... I don't want to be the person that presses the same button on every single one of these shows that I do. But empathy is so important. Just being able to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else and not know for certain how they will feel, but consider how they might feel. The adage that I think my therapist had said that I think about a lot is, that I try to think about more, is the idea that hurt people hurt people. That is true, too. So first of all, when you see a lawmaker trying to police a woman's body, perhaps, just to name one thing one of many. We're, we've been talking about in the news yeah. lately, you think of, well, what is compel- What made you think that this was a thing that needs to be done? Right. And then and I think this is where things get challenging as a white guy when there are the people who are nominally supposed to be the good guys who agree with you, but maybe they're not pushing as hard. Right. As they could be, if you have a, oh, I don't know, say a president who's like, we should leave this to the courts, instead of being like, I could sign a piece of paper and actually make and this happen. this so whole this shit would, up. Right, yeah. so this wouldn't be a problem, yeah. so people wouldn't have to be scared of what's going to happen. And that's a very challenging balance, and that's something I try to get better at every day, and I feel like I, there was a point, I guess, um, within a month or so, and I think you and I have both been here where you're just scrolling on the internet and i was like ah this sucks and it was some really dark just some really dark feelings i don't normally feel right as uh, i said to my therapist there was not a plan but there's just some really dark Thinking feelings about of like yeah this is not a world i want to be a part of right 
which is a terrible thing to think about. I was probably there at the same time you were there. And so, but what? Um, thank God, what I did was I was like, "What? Well, I gotta, I gotta unplug from this." I've done this before. My wife can tell you. I've, I've, I've been like, I gotta get off Twitter. I gotta get off all this stuff. Somehow, did it? I got off for a month. Came back on very quick, and somehow I don't know what it is, and hopefully I don't jinx it by saying it. I don't know if it's becoming a mid thirty something, but the impulse to comment on everything and to dunk on things has largely gone away. Good for you. Like I still feel it. You I still feel it. The, well, I, yeah. I look at the the Democrats who have control of the House and the Senate and right. all the stuff, and like, guys, what are we doing here? But like. The most important thing to think about is who is that yelling for? Is it for you? Or is it for the people that really need it? Right. And hopefully that my leftward credentials aren't revoked by the... I mean, there is a... (sighs) We mentioned this earlier. A really weird dividing line that's super blurry between advocating for others and advocating for yourself. And it's a tough walk. Yeah, it's advocating for others while being aware of others. Right. Like, because I think in very left circles, when there's a fatalism about it, regardless of, of who you voted for in the primaries, and he's a controversial guy, but I think about Bernie Sanders when he said the thing about, are you willing to fight for somebody that you don't know? Whatever you think of the guy, that's a really potent idea. Absolutely. But... There's calculus to that. Mm-hmm. Like, just because it's something you don't know, you have to know the concept. Right. Well, you, you have to be able to figure out some context. Right. You can't just go, well, this is for all people of color. This right. is for all LGBTQ people. Right. This is for all neurodivergent people. Like, Which you, I you think know. is why sometimes when a lot of white people advocate for black people or other people of color... You can tell the ones that actually encounter people of color on a regular basis yes. versus the ones who don't. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Am I getting better at that? Right. I'm, I'm not like a bird. Like, you need protection from me to feel good wherever you are. Right. Like, you're a grown-up. Right. You're, old, you're older than I right. am, for right. God's sake. Right. But also, but just making sure it's like, well, I, I would hope that in f- mixed company and it's friends... Empathy. That, it's empathy. Right, it's knowing, they, recognizing... The space that the other person or right. the other people might right. be. That you, yeah, if I'm inviting you to a party, that you go into a situation and you don't come, who the fuck are all these All these people, right. <laughs> who are all these crackers? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Even if we're not, like, hitting a number. Yeah, it's about hitting a number. It's about knowing people, knowing what they're comfortable in, right. knowing who the other people are, mm-hmm. and making it uh, the best experience for everyone. Right. And it's funny because there is someone that I guess I didn't meet that person through you. I met them through a friend of yours who I definitely feel uncomfortable around because I believe that they harbor some racist thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And you and I have discussed this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you're particularly close to this person. I would not characterize myself as close. But that's another conversation because I have had conversations about this person with the person that introduced Mm. the two of us. And I don't necessarily know that that person gets it. So Interesting. I want to talk about Nicole. Please. I'm her publicist. (laughs) She always says that, so. I, I, as a single person, see couples sometimes talk about how their partner or or a particular partner of theirs makes them a better person. And sometimes I kind of roll my eyes at that. (laughs) But I do think that Nicole 
the experience of you being with Nicole and moving into the city and looking at things through her eyes yeah. as someone who is, I mean, Nicole's a worldly gal. Yeah, more so than me. Yeah. I, I think that she has made you not a better person because you were never a bad person. No, but there are certainly but, things I understand right. better. She grew you up a little bit. Yeah. And thank goodness the last two years, you know, two and a half years, pandemic times, there we all know plenty of people who have maybe it's exposed the flaws <laughs> in the relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've really done a good job of the strengths. I mean, we're in a real honeymoon spot right now because of the, because of our cat. And I, uh, the idea that we're capable. I mean, did, did I have like a little bit of a meltdown because he was being a real shit the other night? Yeah, I was. I got and news for you, my kittens are I know. little shits. He broke a glass and it was not malicious, but I seemed like I could roll with a lot of stuff. But then for some reason, that was something I couldn't roll with. I can be real stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> and want to be heard and want to be correct and as recently as today i'm still working on it but the idea of that when a person is telling you how they feel about a certain situation that might be tense or difficult that you feel upset about and that maybe you can change things about it and maybe you just for no fault of your own you just haven't yet Right. And you're sitting there with two puzzle pieces that have not gone together, being like, why aren't these going together? And then she's like, well, have you tried doing it this way? And you're like, that's – why would I do that? I like to think that the time has shortened me going, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Maybe the, two years ago there were like five of those repetitions. Maybe now we're at two to three. Okay. I would imagine many women think about this of taking care of somebody versus taking care of somebody. Explain that. Again, I think being a white suburban guy who was sheltered. I think there's, there, with w acknowledging that shelter exists and working to undo it and, and doing the work yourself. Like, just the, the most mundane stuff. Like, uh, not waiting until being asked to do something. Just the little domestic things that have fueled so many good and, and many more terrible sitcoms. Right. Thinking your partner is not just a partner, but a caretaker or a mom. Well, yeah, and they're probably never going to listen to this. I don't even know if they know what podcasts are. But with my parents, my father, he's been diabetic most of his life. And he's not invalid, but there's a lot of health issues that come from that. Sure. And I think... With the relationship that my parents have had over 40 plus years of being married, there is sometimes a simultaneous sense of, for my mother, of I am the most qualified to help him and to take care of him, and I fucking hate that I am the most qualified, so I'm not going to let anybody else do it, but I'm going to feel really mad that I've got to do it, that whole thing. So I've thought about that a lot lately, and I've really tried to commit myself to making sure that that's not... Right. I, mean, I feel like that's a combination of simultaneous pride and resentment. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think also, uh, Nicole, again, my parents have been together for 40 plus years. Uh, Nicole's parents divorced when she was uh, an infant. Mm. So she's never known, like, the nuclear family, sure. as it were. How do I put this? I think there's just things that come with her own experience that she just gets better than I do. And it's not a loss of self. It's not like a... Buddhist thing, but realizing this person knows what they're talking about. The gain of self. Right. 
they know what your butt looks like. <laughs> they do. They do like, know what your butt looks like. Theoretically, your parents also know well, what your butt looks like. It was very differently proportioned, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is me putting myself on public record that Nicole Spezio, who you can see in such great things as Netflix's The Characters and Apple TV's We Crashed and Netflix's Friends from College and one episode of Ray Donovan on Showtime, amongst other things. That she's, a, she's on IMDb. She's on IMDb. And her skill as a partner and someone who listens to me and makes me feel like the best person in the world is unmatched. And this is what she didn't get in my vows was me crying. We've been teasing each other. She's been teasing me about that. She goes, I thought you would get more emotional when you do your vows. So when I rewrite them. Maybe I'll borrow some stuff from this. Borrow some stuff from this. I'll just play the podcast. <laughs> right, the exactly, right? Do like that mix of Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen with the Jerry Yeah, McGuire with the Jerry dialogue. Maguire uh, dialogue in the just background. Just have like, like the last two minutes of what I said, like, doo-doo. <laughs> anyway. No, she's a, a terrific partner, and I'm glad that you see, and I think everybody sees what I see, that she really has brought out a lot of laughs and joy and greatness in my life and and growth yeah and one thing i can point to as specific growth is that and again i don't say this derisively as no, a please. fellow sensitive person no. at one point you took things very personal oh, yeah. someone would say something and i could see like in your like, <laughs> facial expression would change and i'd be like fuck all right yeah this dude is butthurt i, I don't know what to do here um you seem to take things much more in stride now or you've developed a better poker face. I don't know which. Well, I, no, I think, again, I've reached a much better balance of self-deprecating and taking in stride. <laughs> I'm a guy who likes pop culture and uh, stuff. I'm a stuff guy. You are a stuff uh, guy. And sometimes there's a little bit of self-loathing about how much of a stuff guy I am. Because I don't want to take up a lot of space. That's what it comes down to. But certainly reining it in, changing the priorities of it, where it fits in my life. And I think also just having a better sense of humor about it. Right. Yeah, perspective and humor are are wonderful things. Well, you know, with Second Disc, with my writing, like that was like, I wrote about Reaches and Box Sets because I liked it, but I also wrote it because I was trying to get noticed. Sure. And then when I did my other writing project, Hollywood and Spine, which is a newsletter I do about film novelizations, I was at a point where I was like, look, I've reached most of the peaks I've wanted to reach in terms of what I'm writing about, how I'm writing about it. What else is there? Like, is there something I can do that's just enjoyable? Right, that feeds that your does soul. It, right, the traffic is inconsequential. Right. And so I started writing about novelizations, and I'm not going to pretend that the bad boy celebrity in the novelization world, none of it <laughs> doesn't exist, I hope. But the fact that people now think, oh, oh, wow, you write about that really well. And again, it's just like, hey, thanks. Thanks for reading. I'm not trying to get a sweet deal writing about this stuff. If people want me to, that's great. I was just on a podcast. I talked about a junior novelization of E.T., <laughs> truly worlds colliding. Yeah, seriously. And I, lis- I actually listened back to it. And I, I was really proud of myself. I was like, this person I'm hearing speaking is talking authoritatively and enthusiastically, but is, not, is doing so in a way that doesn't repel people. I'm not like 278 toothpicks fell on the floor <laughs> and I'm counting them. So um reached this point of mid-30s and owning a 
uh, pet that I'm taking care of with my partner and like it was one of those moments where you're taking a look over your shoulder going looking where you came from and be like good yeah not even not bad good good I'm really happy about that I'm happy I get to talk about it here yeah and like I said going from knowing 22 23 year old Mike to 35 year old Mike <laughs> I mean, I am proud of the person that you have become and are becoming. Yeah. Because it is it's ongoing. Absolutely. My gosh. Yeah. If it were set in stone. Which so many people still think it is. No. It's, you know. I mean, if there's, I mean, there are several things I try to impart through this podcast. And one of them is that, like, growth is amazing. And we're not at our final stage until we're in the ground. Right. So. And uh, even then, maybe not. Maybe not. Y'all have seen Thriller. <laughs> Of course, we had to end our conversation on a thriller joke because that is the way that me and Mike roll. Thank you so much, Mike Duquette, for taking the time to appear on the podcast. And we did this one in person, y'all. So it is always good to see Mike and spend time with them and have these rewarding, occasionally difficult, but uh, ultimately positive conversations. I am very grateful to have him in my life as a friend and um, as an inspiration. Uh, You can find Mike all over the internet. He is on Instagram at Sir underscore Duke. That is Sir underscore D-U-Q-U-E. You can find his work at the Second Disc website. That is www.thesecondisc.com. And you can also find his uh, movie uh, novelizations uh, at Hollywood and Spine, which is on Medium, uh, medium medium.com backslash at Mike Duquette. And uh, thanks again, Mike, for taking the time out to be on the show. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com slash Detoxicity. You can email me, DetoxPod at gmail.com. Love to hear constructive criticism. Love to hear feedback. Would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest, please, by all means, reach out to me. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, rate, comment, do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible. Tell a friend, do whatever it is you need to do. And uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support. Uh, Calvin Williams and Jacob Block, Jeff Giles, and Andrew Grossman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.